Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's February 14th. I love you. And another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. Roses are red, violets are blue. And today in history, in the year 270, a missionary was beheaded because of his religion and it had nothing to do with romance or chocolate or roses. Happy Valentine's Day! (laughs) (laughs) And as with actually quite a few figures that we've talked about over the years in retrospectives, his existence is a little bit dubious to say the least. Or actually, he probably did exist, but actually multiples of him probably Mm. existed. There are at least two St. Valentines. I mean, Valentine was quite a common name at the time, and the Romans did kill a lot of Christian priests and missionaries. So there are early church accounts that reference him as a priest, as a doctor, or as a bishop. The Roman Martyrology, which is the Catholic Church's official list of saints, recognises two Valentines who are martyred, one of them a bishop, one of them a Roman priest, supposedly both beheaded, and both commemorated on this day like they just want to be like, you know what, guys? Yeah, it was all... It all happened on this day. They were all called Valentine go nuts. (laughs) Well, one of the things I loved was that as far back as 496 AD, Pope Gelasius I described St. Valentine as a martyr, like those whose names are justly reverenced among men, but whose acts are known only to God. So already he was saying, (laughs) you know, we do worship this guy a little bit, but we don't quite know what he is. He's like, St. Valentine was certainly a guy. He was a guy, yeah. (laughs) The stories are all kind of similar, aren't they? Like, you know, regardless of which Valentine you're talking about, and by the way, this might not be us modern day scholars mixing things up. This could be the medievalists actually trying to write this down, kind of getting confused as to which martyr did what and attributing some to one Valentinus and some to the other. Mm. But what they seem to have in common is big into Christianity, wanted to convert people in the Roman Empire into being Christians. Check. And were attributed by contemporaries with having uh, achieved some kind of miracle, you know, making blind people see, that kind of thing. And head chopped off. That seems to be And then head chopped common. off on February 14th. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so by some accounts, St. Valentine was a Roman priest and physician. Uh, by other narratives, he was a bishop of Terni in Italy. And a third possible St. Valentine was a martyr in a Roman province in North Africa. So all of these three stories seem to have come together in various ways with several common threads. And one of the stories that I liked was that this particular Valentine, one of the, the three men in question, was born into a patrician family, converted to Christianity, and then became consecrated as a bishop, aged only 21 years of age. And then he gets into a scrape with the Emperor Claudius the Cruel, who was involved in a whole <laughs> lot of... Sounds promising. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he was involved in a bunch of unpopular and bloody campaigns and was having trouble maintaining um, recruitment into his armies, particularly... Oh, this was the one who said, don't get married. Yeah, he thought yeah. that it was because married men didn't want to leave their families and were afraid of dying and all of that, whereas unmarried men could be... Um, you know, brought into the army more easily. Which is weird, isn't it? Because you'd think when you're 
out on the battlefield having someone to die for would actually you know, be motivating. Be a bit, be a bit more, yeah, be a bit more cautious yeah. <laughs> about that. I suppose that's true in defensive battles, but less true in the kind of offensive battles where you have to go to the far-flung yeah. reaches of the I empire. I think it and... might have been about testosterone. Yeah. It might have been that not letting the football team have sex thing. But just yeah, like, maybe that, know, that's interesting. <laughs> young men can't be married if they're going to be on, on in the army. I don't know. Right. So Claudius then bans marriage and there's one person, this particular Valentinus, who's willing to marry people in secret just because he's a good guy and he believes in love. But Claudius finds out about it, cracks down on the whole situation, arrests Valentinus, locks him up and then ultimately beheads him. And another Valentine legend comes from the Nuremberg Chronicle, which was written in 1493. So this is well over a thousand years after this is alleged to have happened. So this is like us <laughs> writing about something that happened, you know, in the year 1000 and saying this is probably true. But there was this legend that he was imprisoned in Rome and that he cured a judge's daughter of blindness and sometimes also deafness. I like it when they gild the lily a bit with the story. <laughs> and then later, another bit was added onto this story that before he was executed, he left her a note. He left her a nice little farewell note signed from your Valentine, establishing that there's also a link with letters. It's quite cool as well if you cure someone of blindness to send them a letter. Yeah, it's a real, just, like you know, look look what you can do now. I, def- I think there was an appetite as well to intermesh Christian saintly stories with court romance type stories. So if mm. you could find a saint who you you could make fit into that mould by maybe inventing a few extra legends about them, people were, you know, in the mood to do that. And so then this passed through to medieval writers like Chaucer, who is credited with popularising the connection between St Valentine and love. He Particularly in this poem he wrote called The Parliament of Fowls, it was a love poem which is sort of revolves around the motif of birds choosing their mates. Saint Valentine's Day, one every bird cometh there to chiss his mech. I can't believe it's like you were teaching my Chaucer class in at A level. You've got the you've got the um, teacher doing the medieval voice down pat. <laughs> so bird sex happened on Valentine's feast day was Chaucer's contention in that poem, mm. and that then inspired people throughout English literature to really latch on to this idea that. Far from commemorating someone who was also the saint of epilepsy and the saint of beekeeping, that he was really the patron saint of love. And this idea propagates through English literature. Shakespeare has Ophelia say in Hamlet, tomorrow is St. Valentine's Day, all in the morning betime, and I am made at your window to be your Valentine. It's just so funny that so much effort was poured into his superhero origin story as related to his overseeing of the whole issue of love and less to do with, like, the beekeeping and the epilepsy thing. Mm. If this romantic story has made you horny to see some Valentinian bones, though, you are in luck um, because you can see, and this, I think, tells you that there's more than one Valentine. You can see Valentine's skull in Rome, some bones in Madrid and Savona and Dublin. There's a bone in Prague, a chunk of skull in Chelmno and bits and bobs in the parish church in Birmingham, Glasgow and on Lesbos. And if that's a bit much for you, if you're just like, I don't want to traverse the world seeing bits of Valentine, <laughs> you can see all of him in Vienna, apparently. <laughs> oh, nice. That's, <laughs> that's a nice trick. Yeah. And it makes sense that there'd be quite a few, doesn't it? Because Constantine's big pivot to Christianity had yet to happen. And Christians were seen as a threat to the ruling order. That's really what this mm. is about, isn't it? The persecution of the Christians. It's not just that they've got a different idea of religion. The point is, if you're a Roman Empire... If these guys don't believe in our gods, then what else are they prepared not to believe in, i.e. my rule over everything? That's why these people were beheaded. Yeah, and there's some stories that the 
intention was also to kind of supersede this former pagan ritual that occurred annually, which was the Feast of Lupercalia, which <laughs> it sounds pretty repulsive, actually, but it was this fertility celebration that was marked around this time every year, where men would whip women who were staged along the course of this race that they were running as they went along. And another part of the ritual required a child to pair couples at random who would then have to live together. Like, this sounds like some horrific <laughs> contemporary game show. And they'd have to be intimate for an entire year. I mean, if I'm pitching right now, I'd, I'd go straight to ITV on this one. Um, but the church was quite keen to replace these practices and focus on something a bit more wholesome. And so one of the stories, at least, is that St. Valentine was associated with this fertility festival by way of kind of ridding the uh, parts mm. of the world that were practicing this pagan horror. And by the 17th century, we can see that even more elaborate Valentine's Day traditions have developed in our old friend Samuel Pepys in oh, his yeah. diary. Mm -hmm. He describes two popular ways of celebrating, neither of them religious by this point. There was the sort of secret Santa approach where you'd all put your names in and pull them out and pick a Valentine, then you would have to give them a gift. The other <laughs> one, which I love, is that the first person of the opposite sex that you saw, friend or stranger, was your Valentine. And I mean, that was Pepys's MO, as we discussed in our episode about him anyway. Yeah. <laughs> There's so, a woman. Oh, I like her. Yeah. I might give that a go. Well, yeah. Well, hence, on Valentine's Day 1662, we have a description from Peeps of his wife, Elizabeth, walking around with her hands over her eyes, quote, that she might not see the painters that were at work in gilding my chimney piece. <laughs> so what people would Brilliant. do instead is they would arrange an early morning visit from a friend who would turn up early in the morning with a gift for them. And that would all be oh, prearranged. Okay. That, that wasn't a euphemism, gilding his yeah. chimney piece. No, 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 no. Right. In fact, at one year, Elizabeth got very upset that Peeps hadn't planned anything. So from then on, he paid his cousin to come every single year with a gift for her. It's funny that then the real sort of industrialization of the whole business of love only happened in the 19th and into the 20th century. Well, it's to do with the um, mass production possibilities of the printing press, isn't it? Mass-produced cards did quickly find an audience, although obviously people weren't prepared to pass up an opportunity to be incredibly snobbish about it. <laughs> I've got this from the London Journal writing in 1858 in an editorial quote. If we were to give a general character, we would say they printed Valentine's cards are very trashy and not a little vulgar <laughs> and the production of mercenaries for hire I love that that's been going on since the 19th century yeah. <laughs> like poo-pooing the day of love <laughs> Tomorrow She said I'm not Aretha, I don't look like her I don't dress like her and I sure don't have her money Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, part of the ACAST Creator Network. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.